In the meditations of our hearts, may your word be known. And in the faithfulness of our lives, may your word be shown. Amen. So a whole bunch of you know that I am not Pastor Wilson. I am the music director. I've announced that earlier. But I'm also in my internship as I seek ordination as a deacon within the church. And this is the second of a three-part series that I've been preaching on some of the aspects of music and what they might have to tell us about God's grace. And so last week, I spoke about melody and provenient grace, and that was what, where we headed there. This week, I'm talking about harmony and justifying grace, and then next week, I'll be talking about rhythm and sanctifying grace. In last week's sermon, I tried to highlight some of the aspects of melody that might tell us of God's love before we recognize it. I spoke about melody as a sequence of single pitches, one at a time, set at intervals of time from one another, and how that reminded me of touchstones in my life that were the places where God was speaking and talking to me and wooing me into relationship with God before I knew who God was. And we got to talk to each other a little bit about that too, right? I had you talk to each other about those moments you remember where God spoke to you in your early faith walk before you said yes to God. Um, I also spoke about the power of melody, particularly through what's known as the hook. Today's hook was what? Um, Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, right? That's the hook into that hymn. That's that repeatable, familiar fragment of music that pulls us into a song even before we know what the song is about. And sometimes we like the hook so much we don't care what the song's about, right? We talked, about, we talked about that too, how sometimes we sing things we don't believe just because we like the hook so much in songs and hymns. And then during the second hymn, I pulled a surprise on you and pulled the stanzas with poor theology, right? You remember that last week and said, I love the song, but stanzas two and three are out, right? So we talked about that questionable theology. I tried to relate that to grace and how the grace of God, like melody, can pull us in in a really short moment and, and hold us in that moment, but also can last through our lifetime. And I specifically referred to Jesus as the hook, right? Jesus is the hook that pulls us in. Uh, through the example of Jesus' life of practicing love, through his habit of serving others, through his act of sacrifice, we are drawn into the story of God even before we really understand what the story of God is. In this case, you can trust that hook that the rest is good, right? (laughs) The rest is good. But before I begin with today's topics, I want to remind you of three key uh, things I talked about last week, just in case. The first was that I specifically said, remember that a piece of music in and of itself in performance is complete and whole. It is complete and whole in itself. But there are various things that you can pull out of it. We can talk about melody. We can talk about the rhythm. We can talk about the harmony. We can talk about the composer's intent. But all those things together make the complete whole of what that piece of music is. Grace is like that. There is only one grace. It is the grace of God. However, we can talk about grace and how it functions in a variety of ways by talking about provenience, which is what we did last week, and justification, which we're going to talk about this week, and sanctification next week. There are not just three ways that grace works. 
You always know this. You know this in your lives. But I want you to remember that it is all one grace. It's all one grace. The last thing is that I wanted to remind you of what provenience grace is. Provenient grace is. Provenience is that one aspect of the free grace of God which comes to us as a gift through our early experiences in our various journeys and helps us understand the state in which we exist, how we are separated from God, and invites us into relationship with God self. Now, before I get too far, you might have noticed last week the bulletin cover. If you didn't, I've got it on the screen here. I didn't talk about it last week, but there it is. That was the bulletin cover last week. This is an early example of music notation from the first moments it started to exist. Before this, all music was written down in written form. We know this. It's in our Bible. The songs of the Bible are the text only. We have no idea what they really sounded like. The, the way they were sung was passed by rote from generation to generation, like our folk song traditions, right, from our various cultures, our past. So we really do not know what those melodies sounded like. But we do know that they were sung in unison. The ancient Roman culture, the ancient Greek culture, and all the others preceding them all have small records that were, have been found that show that all the music was written in unison. Even if an instrument, Tyler, you might go over to the piano and help me with this. Uh, even if an instrument was playing along, the instrument played the exact same note that the singer was singing. So like, uh, maybe Twinkle Twinkle Little Star, can you sing it and play the melody at the same time? No, no harmony. No harmony. No, no harmony. No extra notes. Go. Yep. Exactly. That's how it was for millennia. Millennia. And then in the 9th or 10th century, nobody knows why, probably some music director who was tired of people singing the wrong tune, decided they needed some kind of system to start figuring out where the high and low notes are. And you'll see in the picture, those very top light brown <coughs> dots and lines were how they started telling each other, or telling the singers and performers how to go high and low in their voice. This dark brown line in the middle, that is a later addition by somebody else. That did not exist in the earliest notation. But that first little line up there, you see the words, they're in Latin, there's the notation. That was how they notated the melody. So I thought that might be interest to you. Um, over time, the next slide, please. Over time, a single red line was added to help the performers know kind of where the notes went above and below. Because you can just imagine, all you've got is these lines and squiggles. They're probably starting low, starting high, starting wherever they want to start. So they started adding, and you can see that, if you can see it, that red line that goes across became what's called a single staff system. By the way, we still use single staff systems in percussion particularly. But the single staff system made it so that people would know how high or low the note went. That expanded to two lines eventually. That's not up there, so just hold on that slide for a minute. Then out to four and to our modern day five. Those are not the only staff systems that exist or existed. There are early examples of people experimenting with 20 line staffs and, and, and crazy until it finally formalized. So it, it was a process over time like many things are. 
And the system of dots and lines became more formalized in what we call nooms. And you're going to see that on the next slide. That was the notation that existed between the dots and lines of those early notation and our modern notation. It, would you pull up that next one? So you see it. That you're probably more familiar with. You've seen that probably somewhere. These squares and lines, those are called nooms, and they're on a four-line staff system. And that system of writing music existed for hundreds of years before it formalized into what we do now. Um, but that brings us to our most basic definition of harmony. As you can see up here, it is more two or more notes sounding at the same time. And you'll see that we have two notes stacked up together there. The red is the original tune. That's what they would have sung. The second one is the next line. Now, harmony is a really interesting thing to think about in music. Music was entirely in unison. We talked about that. There's no reason to believe that our songs in the Bible were anything but unison because they were part of that practice time. And that unison tradition persisted until about the same time, that ninth or 10th century, where for the first time we see notation coming together. And particularly, we start to see this notation starting to come out. This is called uh, organum. This is called organum. Nobody really knows why people all of a sudden started having harmony. There's a lot of guesses. There's a lot of theories. This is what I went to doctoral work for music theory in, is to know this stuff. I don't know this stuff. Nobody knows this stuff. They guess at it. However, probably what happened, this is the most plausible theory, is that any of you guys who have ever sung Happy Birthday in a crowd know that nobody sings that thing in unison, ever. <laughs> nope. Nope. And... What usually happens is people are doubling at the fifth above or the fourth below, which is the strongest harmonic overtone series, which I am not going into today. It'll take us, we'll be here till midnight. Somebody will have to go get drinks. Uh, so <laughs> we're not going to that today, all right? But they would end up singing in parallels like we do when we sing happy birthday with our families or other gatherings. And what's likely that happened is that some director or some leader somewhere decided they liked that sound. They liked the parallel fifths and started telling them to write it down. So we do it on purpose and not on accident. And that's probably what happened. What's interesting about this is that for me, this speaks to me about God and justifying grace in a way. And let me get at what I'm talking about. First, you should probably know that the word organum is a Greek word that means organ or instrument. And it was a way they started talking about how there was more than one thing going on. And we're going to get back to organum in a minute, but let's go to justifying grace. Like harmony, justifying grace is a really interesting thing to think about. <clears throat> Just like organum was the hinge between unison musical practice and our current practice of the development of chords and counter melodies and everything else, Justifying grace is the hinge between prevenient grace and a life of sanctification. The justifying grace might not sit exactly in the center of your span of the lifetime, but it is the center of the grace that we are speaking about. It is the moment we turn from God wooing us in to accepting God for ourselves and walking God's life together. Um, it is at its barest definition, redemption. And it is at its most basic act, the moment we say yes. If you remember nothing else, that's it. It is redemption and when we say yes to God. 
through our free will. Remember last week I said it's always deniable. You can always say no to God. God gives us free will. But you have the will, you have the free will also to accept and say yes to God, which many of us have. It's when we begin to live a transforming and transform life in Christ. Thanks to a lot of people who've studied theology for many centuries, just like they've studied notation for many centuries, there's a lot to talk about concerning justifying grace. But today, I'm going to just look at repentance, atonement, and regeneration. And the guys in here who went to seminary, and there are some of you in here, know that there are books on each one of these things. So I'm going to do the best I can to make them very concise. All of us have seen Pastor Wilson talk about repentance. You guys will recognize it. It's when he says we're walking one way, and then we figure out we're going the wrong way, and we turn around, and we go back this way. How many times have we seen him do that right here? <laughs> he does it almost every week, right? He's up here. at that. He's really trying to get us to understand that there's that point where we turn around and we follow Christ. Um, this begins during the final stage of provenient grace, that grace that we were talking about last week, where God, who's calling us into relationship, assists us in understanding that we are separate from God. And our scripture reading today begins in that very moment. You heard the group. They said, we all did it. <laughs> all of us doing what we felt like doing, <laughs> right? When we felt like doing it, all of us in the same boat. We've all been there wandering around without God. Repentance involves our acknowledgement that we're wandering around and walking our own solitary path and not having much direction. So this brings me back to melody for a minute. Unfettered melody, melody that is not bound to anything, is for some people the most amazing thing. For, but for most people who desire order and systems, this crazy melodic word, just, it's just a melody that doesn't have any structure and just spins out over years. And you have no idea where it's going. It's wandering about. No harmonic structure to pin it in. No goal no set of dough. Some people love that stuff. But most of us are like, oh, would it please end, right? But it reminds me of that wandering away from God. It's just wandering off and doing its own thing. When I look at parallel organum, which I see up here, and I look at that melodic line, and I remember, it helps me remember that there is one who directs and guides our path that we can match our steps to. Very much like this organum has pairs of notes, and you see them, they're dependent on each other. Wherever that red note is going, that black note's going to follow, right? In its parallel walk. It reminds me of that, of our direct dependence on God. And it helps point to our need to match our steps to God. So, got that? Great. If I had, a, if I had time to play you some organum, I would, but... I've, I've just got a lot to say today, so I'm going to keep on moving through. If you want to hear it, you can come, uh, I'll come get you some recordings or send some out. So redemption, that, or no, yeah, redemption, or repentance, that's where we're at, repentance, where we begin to turn and match our steps to God's. Atonement is the unlimited pardon given to us by Christ's sacrifice on the cross. The reason we say unlimited is because in our theology, Wesleyan theology, which not everyone agrees with, but is ours, we believe that that grace is available to everyone, no matter what. Our hymn this morning said the vilest offender. It's everybody. It is available to each one of us, and it is a gift of God. It's one we can't earn. It's one you probably and I probably don't deserve. And it's ours by faith. 
When we choose to accept this atonement, but we embrace forgiveness and the life-giving way of God. And our scripture said something about that too. When it said, saving is all God's idea. All God's idea. And all God's work. All we do is trust God enough to let God do it. Wow. To me, that, that's mind-blowing, right? To me, it just boggles me that all we do is trust in God enough to let God do it. There's nothing tangible in that. There is nothing I can touch, nothing I can hold, nothing I can grab onto. It is all trust. And that is the faith. The faith that by grace we are saved by, right? That's amazing. And yet, sometimes, if I'm honest about this, for me and maybe for you, this takes place more than once in my life journey. I find myself saying yes to God and then wandering off. And then saying yes to God and wandering off. And saying yes to God, you get the point, right? (laughs) You get it. We get there, we get right, and then we just kind of wander off in our path and we come back. I've never really heard anybody say that you can be justified more than once. Once you say yes, you've said yes. But I've heard that you can revisit justification many times, and sometimes even every moment. Some of us have been through life things where every moment we have to continue to say yes to God because things are so hard or so, so challenging in our lives. That moment where we continue to come back and match our steps. So... When I look at oblique organum, which is the next one, this is a second kind of organum that started to happen. This reminds me of that act of atonement where I line myself up and accept the grace. Look at right there. Together we are, right? And then look, it starts to separate. And off we go. And then we start wandering off. And then we come back together. And then we separate again. <laughs> this is, <laughs> and we come back together. To me, this really early form of organum of harmony says something to me about how we say yes but wander off and then come back and wander off and come back. That is where that sits for me. Regeneration is the new birth that takes place when we say yes to God. It is when we become a new creation. That's so awesome. (laughs) So awesome. We're made new in Christ. We're transformed by grace and we walk into the light. We walk into the light. That is the life of God, right? It's so beautiful. On our United Methodist website, it says this. It is what happens when we abandon all our vain attempts to justify ourselves before God. To be seen just in God's eyes through religious and moral practices. It's a time of pardon and forgiveness, of new joy and peace and love. Indeed, we are justified by God's grace through faith. It may be sudden and dramatic... And it may be gradual and cumulative, but it is the rebirth, the new life, the regeneration. Did you catch that they said that for some of us it's going to be really sudden? You're going to be able to point to the time when you said, that's when I said yes, it was so awesome, right? And then there's some of them like me. I was not raised in the church. I have no idea when that yes moment happened, but I know it did. It happened at some point in the midst of my faith walk. It unfolded over time. That is perfectly acceptable as two. Justification for each one of us full unfolds in a different way, right? Well, our scripture today also addressed that. See, we've got justification all in one scripture. I love this scripture passage. It says, God didn't lose his temper and do away with the whole lot of us. <laughs> 
for me, I should do that twice. Uh, instead, immense in mercy and with incredible love, God embraced us. God took our sin-dead lives and made us alive in Christ. It's that new birth. For me and perhaps for, from, for some of you, this new life is freedom. So I know that we feel like sometimes that wandering that we've done out in the world is where we were free. But honestly, it's a little, it's more restricting than the life of Christ and the life in God, which allows us, or allows me anyway, to flourish in what God meant for me to be, to do the things that I'm meant to do. And all of a sudden I'm flying as who I am instead of trying to figure out this wandering wild path that I was on. And for me, melismatic organ tells me about that. That's that next slide. Check this organ out. This is really interesting. This is another early form of harmony in the church. The melody is on the bottom. What they did is they took the melody and slowed it down into really slow notes and then allowed the other line to flourish. So for me, this reminds me of God steadfastly walking those touchstones. Remember, I talked about last week continuing in my life, but me flying and, and being who I get to be with great joy and rejoicing around God's steady walk with me. So melismatic organum says that to me. Maybe it will help you too. So there's no way in which I can talk about all the things of harmony. That's like the barest tip of the tiniest little top of an iceberg of what is harmony in the world. But it may help us understand God and grace just a little bit more when it comes to justifying grace. Both harmony and both grace are bigger than us. They're bigger than our lifetimes. Grace has been and will be grace from the beginning of time till the end. There's no way we can know all of it. Harmony has been harmony for centuries and will continue to be harmony for centuries to come. And there's no way we can know all of that either. But there are places where we can connect both. And that's what I've been trying to do. These small points that are where we can be reminded of the beauty of each of these through the relationship in them. Last week, I challenged you to go out into the world and help others recognize the moments of provenience in their lives, the people around you. Where is God talking or working in their lives to call them into relationship? Or if you weren't quite there yet, to recognize those moments in your own life, which is perfectly acceptable. We're all in different places. The journey is not the same for all of us. This week, I wonder if you might... Uh, think about pointing out to others the ways in which we can match our steps to God's, where we are justified and we begin to walk with God, where we say yes and where people may be doing that and don't even know they're doing it yet. And say, oh, look, you are walking in a way that seems to be that God's helping direct that. That's lovely. Or if you want to, go with the flourish. Like, look at you go. It's really clear that you're following God's purpose for you. Like, can we go out and maybe find some people to encourage in this act of justification, this, this walking out of grace in that moment? And we're going to talk a little bit more about this flourishing next week when we talk about rhythm. But still, it's the challenge. May we also remember that God, who offers this grace to everyone, has already torn down a wall by this harmony as well, by the way, because it is offered to each one of us. None of us are separate from each other. We are all walking with God, and God unites all of us together. We not only recognize grace through harmony, but we live in harmony by grace. 
in the name of God, the great composer, Jesus, the living song, and the spirit which directs the symphony of our lives. Amen.